0: you Jô. Eu...
1: you can be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Community Church. So glad that you're here this morning. Uh, Val is uh, getting a much needed break. She is in uh, Florida visiting family and uh, they drove this past week. Uh, I asked her where they were going and she said Key West. I plugged that into my map. I said, Val, that's a day and 11 hours. She goes, 11 hours is not so bad. I said, Val, it's a day plus 11 hours. So uh, good news is she gets to fly back. But she's uh, visiting her family i'm so grateful to madison uh who is standing in her place kind of providing us with a vocal lead and uh, so again glad that you're here this morning if you're a guest with us this morning i'd like to call your attention to our uh, welcome home card it's in the pew back in front of you We'd love to have a record of your visit. we love to just pray over the people that God brings our way, whether uh, you're just passing through or you're looking for a place that you can call your church home. Uh, So if you would, you could fill that out. Uh, There's a uh, blank spot on the back, the entire back. You could use that for prayer requests or whatever you'd like to share. If you have questions, uh, then uh, please utilize that card. You can either leave it uh, on the pew uh, or you can uh, place it on the table where our offering box is as you exit this morning. Uh, you'll also find a couple of things on the pew around you. One is our uh, weekend program. Uh, and inside the weekend program, uh, if you come uh, here regularly, then you know this already. But there's always just a, a list of things that are going on uh, with regard to student ministry, also children's ministry. Uh, and then we're going to be working in the coming weeks as we get settled back into school to launching, relaunching our life groups. And so uh, be sure and familiarize yourself with that. Then you'll also find a sheet called the Essential 100. Uh, And that will pertain to the message this morning. Uh, In the uh, beginning in August, we're going to start back with our uh, uh, newcomer's reception, which is just a chance for first-time guests who've been coming to meet uh, myself and some of our staff, hear a little bit about our vision, maybe ask questions. And then on the second Sunday of every month is our uh, covenant membership class. We're hoping to fire those back up. And in the lobby or the foyer, you'll find sign-ups against the wall over there on that uh, uh, bench, uh, or rather... uh, desk area. Uh, And you can sign up for that class. We'll also follow up with you, get you more information about it. And our membership class, uh, we actually serve a luncheon because it's immediately after the service. And so we have lunch together and then we work our way through uh, what it means to be a member of our church. Uh, So if you're interested in that, please sign up. And again, uh, so glad that you're here this morning. We continue our new series. Uh, And uh, just uh, as a reminder, uh, if you're um, interacting with people during the week, encourage them if they're ready to come back. Uh, we'd love to see more and more people coming, but ask them if they will to at least the first time to give us a reservation by going to our website, which is ccgunnison.com. And uh, that way we'll know if they're going to the 9.30 or the 11, and we will continue to do that for uh, the foreseeable future. Uh, and the, our, this is the larger of the two services, but uh, a lot of, uh, of our older members have felt comfortable coming to that service in particular because uh, there's uh, that much more space. So again, uh, so glad you're here this morning. And uh, we uh, are continuing to pray for our community, uh, pray for our our, our country, uh, our state, the world, as we go through COVID-19. And I just want to r- uh, remind you that our spirit uh, and, and, and the process of all of this was to uh, obey a series of biblical commands. One, to honor... Uh, our, our leaders and our community to, to honor them and respect them, uh, also to love each other well. And that, that kind of needs to be the thing that we're known most by. Uh, and in this hour uh, of uh, uh, diverse opinions, uh, love is, is what ought to rule the day uh, within the body of Christ. And so we worked to create a variance that would allow us to come back to church, uh, begin meeting again. And, and so we're continuing to operate under that variance, uh, which means that as you come in, we want you to know that the cdc and the public health department uh recommends the state the governor has, has mandated it in most public places uh the importance of wearing a mask inside the walls of the church uh, we can we believe that we're still under that variance and so we are going to leave that to you whatever you feel comfortable doing and if you feel like you need to wear a mask we're going to love you uh and and if you feel like you don't want to wear a mask we're going to love you and in that love ought to be what defines uh, the body of believers, and that's what we have most to offer a culture uh, that's at odds with one another. So, uh, having said that, let me pray for the remainder of our service together, and again, thank you for being here. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you, <clears throat> to be reminded uh, afresh and anew how important it is that uh, that we meet together, that, uh, that it is uh, together that we are the body of Christ, and our desire is to worship you well, Uh, to exalt you for who you are uh, to continue uh, individually and corporately as a church to to take steps or strides toward uh, reflecting the life of jesus christ and then above all else father uh, it it is our desire that who we are uh, and the message that we proclaim uh, would be good news uh, to the world around us we recognize that uh, as paul says we are the aroma of christ uh, unto life for some and the aroma of of death uh, to others uh, and so we just pray that, uh, that you would help us to walk faithfully in this hour, that our world desperately needs to know that you are there, that you are sovereign, that you have done something uh, uh, to, um, to cure, to uh, address our deepest issue, that which threatens uh, our life on a continual basis and will ultimately remove us from this life, and that is our sin. And so we pray, Father, that people would turn to Jesus Christ in this hour. Pray that you'd bless our time together, that your spirit would move among us as we worship, uh, and that you would leave us challenged uh, through the preaching of your word. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Bless the.
1: Bye. you can be seated if you have your Bible with you this morning uh, or if you find one in the pew back in front of you uh, you can open it up uh, to the uh, the book of Romans that's where we'll be this morning and it's time for our uh, jam the kids ministry you guys can exit as well as the students Uh, they'll be with Bob today as Val is gone thanks Bob and uh, so yeah Romans chapter 12 uh, my Uh, two of my life verses we'll be looking at this morning as we continue our our series uh, you've got this and we titled the series that uh, again as I reiterated last week not because uh, any one of us is capable Uh, or that God expects us to produce a life on our own, but rather that as we enter a relationship with Jesus Christ and he begins to remake us into the person that we were intended to be, we can become the people he has called us to be. We can become like Christ. And as we do that, then we have the opportunity uh, as parents of passing on what we've learned about Christ to our children, being faithful guides to them, Uh, and then also because Uh, We have each been called to the Great Commission as we invest our lives in making disciples of Jesus Christ. These are the kinds of things that we want to pass on to them. So we continue this morning with the fifth of those lessons, which I've titled, What Goes In, Comes Out. Uh, I don't know if you remember the show. uh, This will date some of you. Some of you remember Art Linkletter uh, doing the show Kids Say the Darndest Things. Others of us uh, remember Bill Cosby before his uh, fall from grace. Uh, And it is really true, and no one knows uh, exactly how true it is like parents do. Uh, We have often been, in the raising of our four children, we have often just laughed at the things that kids uh, can say, just kind of spontaneous humor. And at the same time, we've been uh, moved and perplexed at the the insight uh, that kids can often have into uh, really large issues in life. Uh, Kids often do say the darndest things, and nobody knows that like a parent but the, the question that we're asking uh, specifically for parents or, or the idea of making disciples is what do, what do our kids think about critical life issues? Uh, what are they going to think as they come through your home and under your leadership and, and then enter a world? Uh, as, someone, as God brings someone around your life and you have the opportunity to invest Christ in them, what, what, are you going to, what are they going to be left thinking about critical life issues? How do they think about God? How do they think about marriage? How do they think about their own sexuality, uh, work, material things, uh, ethics in general? And and an issue is that how they think, how they wind up thinking about these matters in life uh, depends in a great measure upon the kinds of truths or values that were instilled in them. Uh, So how they come to think is as important as what they're going to wind up thinking. And so that's the, the idea behind this message is that whatever it is that, that we pour into our personal lives, whatever it is we pour into our children, that in, in time is eventually going to come out. Now this axiom uh, kind of forms uh, a matrix or a grid through which we approach life. So as we raise our kids, we want to teach them uh, the things of God so that they have a kind of a, a matrix that they can screen everything through. And it's true that not every uh, issue or subject matter that we'll experience in life uh, is specifically addressed in God's Word, uh, but nevertheless, the, the truth of God's Word forms a grid for our lives that if we understand God's Word, then we'll know how to respond to things that come our way and culture or, or our life circumstance. What, whatever goes in to the framework of our, our mind and our living is eventually going to be expressed. Now, as parents, as a society, we are all about the outcome. We love the outcome. And so as parents, we'll say things like, well, we want our kids to be kind and considerate. We want them to be brilliant and successful. We want them to be healthy and spiritually aligned and emotionally adjusted, relationally capable, and mentally attuned. And my guess is that every parent or every person who... uh, Uh, engages the idea of making a disciple out of someone, will at some point uh, feel either a a great sense of satisfaction or a great heartache about how the lives of their kids express the home that they were brought up in. Or uh, it'll either be a celebration of a, a reliable way of living that was invested in them or an oversight to teaching very important truths. But as important, and I'd say more important, than the idea of the outcome uh, of how our kids or how those we disciple are going to turn out uh, is the idea of input because that's really the only thing that we have much to say about is is what is it that we're going uh, to pour into them and this to large uh, to a large degree determines the outcome in life uh, the principle here is that values that regularly go into one's mind will eventually be expressed and expressed in one's living Do you believe that Do you believe that whatever it is that you're pouring into your mind that eventually it 's going to express itself. Madison Avenue believes it uh, every year during the Super Bowl. Madison Avenue so believes this principle that what goes in comes out they spend one point six million dollars for every thirty seconds of advertisement because they believe through practice that if they can get your attention, then they can actually shape what you will do how you 'll spend your money and this is uh, this idea of what goes in uh, eventually comes out. Once we buy into that premise, then it will affect how we choose to live our lives, how we uh, mentor or disciple our children, how we pour in to the lives of other people. And again, this principle, uh, embraced by the culture at large, is a biblical principle. Uh, I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 this morning. The Bible just assumes this axiom and then it builds upon it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. It actually begins in the Greek with the word therefore. It's a pivot in Paul's uh, letter to the church in Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. That brothers is the Greek word adelphoi. It's the neuter gender. So he's saying brothers and sisters. It applies to all of us. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, <clears throat> but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and and perfect. So the Apostle Paul begins uh, with this challenge, and we'll talk about how this verse, these two verses kind of divide the book of Romans. But he begins, begins with this challenge by saying that what you and I are called to as Christ followers individually, and if we capture this, then we have the ability to pass it on, is that we are not to be practiced conformers. We are called to be different from the world around us. Uh, it is, we are a culture conditioned to go with the flow. We're, we're conditioned to learn how to conform. That's how we behave in school. That's how we make the team. That's how we learn how to play sports and games, is, is by conforming to what we see around us. But for the Christ follower, the, the Apostle Paul says, we are called to be nonconformist. Uh, another version of this verse says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but <clears throat> let God remold your thinking from the inside out. Don't be squeezed uh, into the world's way of thinking. This is challenging because by nature we are imitative. That's how our children learn. They learn to do by watching. And adults are very much the same. It's just part of the way we are. We imitate in order to learn things. But the Bible is saying that you and I are not to accept the values of the culture around us just indiscriminately. We, we need to recognize that, that where the world is headed is different from where God is calling us. Now, the idea of a, a, a nonconformist mentality uh, is sometimes uh, considered uh, to be narrow-minded. Uh, or, 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 excuse me, to be like alarmist. Is that how you think about it? Do you think this idea that you and I ought to be going in the reverse direction of the culture around us, is that, is that kind of an alarmist mentality? Well, the truth is, the reason why Paul is, is challenging us here is because it's quite easy to just jump in the culture and, and flow downstream. That's easy to do. Just run with the crowd. It's quite another thing to to learn through spiritual discipline how to swim upstream, which is where God is leading us. And this is such an important truth for parents to grasp and learn how to live out if you're going to teach your kids in a world that's going to pressure them time and again to just go with the flow and swim downstream. Karl Barth called Christian ethics the great disturbance. The great disturbance because it so violently affects the way we naturally uh, approach life. This is about ethics And Paul says, if you and I uh, are to express a life of virtue, if you and I are are to learn how to to live transformed lives so that Jesus is what other people see in us, then it begins by choosing not to conform to the world around us. The world's values run contrary to the values of God. And if you're seeking to follow God, you will live in that tension. Have you felt it? Have you grappled with the tension of trying to be light in a dark world? Well, the only way that you and I succeed at doing that is as we allow the Holy Spirit to produce in us Christ-likeness, which begins by recognizing I'm called to be different from the world. He continues, so don't just conform, rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the Greek uh, command there is uh, in the passive tense, uh, it's aorist, it means, it means we need to continually be being transformed into the image of our Creator be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The idea of transform uh, speaks of the inward and real formation of the essential nature of a person. Let me say that again. Uh, Transformation speaks of the inward, starts on the inside first, and real formation of the essential nature of a person. Paul is talking about the essence of who we are. If you ever get, uh, you've heard the expression about how when a person gets in a a pressure cooker, when a person gets in certain circumstances, it actually just kind of like draws out who they really are. And, And what Paul is saying is that apart from Jesus Christ, you and I will express something other than what is God glorifying. We will just express our sinful nature. But if we choose the path of not conforming to the world around us. And we allow God to tr- begin the process of transform- transforming us by the renewing of our mind, then He will change the essence of who we are. He will make us look like Christ, and that's what we will express. And, and so the idea of transformation actually happens in two different ways in the Bible. In Romans chapter one uh, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter one through chapter eleven, we see the first way that God transforms us, and that, that is, in, if I can use the theological term, justification. It's about our salvation. So Paul builds this case all the way through the book of Romans, talking about how there's none good, no not one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that the wages of our sin is death and the, the, gift, of li- the gift of salvation, is, or the gift of life is God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. And as he works his way up to chapter 12, he's talking about how, how we essentially begin the process of transformation. It's not something that you and I can choose on our own. We have to be wooed by the Spirit of God to the truth about who Jesus Christ is and having chosen him, then the Father declares us just. He redeems us and we begin the process of life change. Then he gets to chapter 12 and he begins to talk about the second aspect of transformation where then what God has birthed in our hearts by salvation, he begins to work out in the process of sanctification. This is how we're to practice our faith how we're to live out of a new heart. And so uh, another translation says, be very careful about getting sucked into the culture and getting squeezed into the cultural mode. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the same thing the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia in chapter 4, verse 19, where he says, my little children, he's talking to adults, children in the faith, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. That word formed is the exact same word in Greek that we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, it's, it's the word morpho. It's where we get the, our English word metamorphosis from. And probably the most, uh, the most natural uh, example of what that process looks like is the uh, changing of a caterpillar to a butterfly. Uh, it's, a, it's a metamorphosis into something new. But the, the transformation that takes place between A caterpillar turning into a butterfly is nothing, nothing compared to the transformation that God must do in us and through us to make us look like Christ. And so Paul is saying the process of allowing God to work into you and out of you what he's called you to in Christ is to not be conformed to the world around you, but to begin the process of allowing him to transform you by the renewing of your mind. John Ortberg wrote in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, the goal of such growth is to live as if Jesus held unhindered sway over our bodies. Of course, it is still us doing the living. We are called by God to live as our uniquely created selves, our temperament, our gene pool, our history. But to grow spiritually means to live increasingly as Jesus would in our unique place, to perceive what Jesus would perceive if he were to look through our eyes, to think what Jesus would think in our life, to feel what Jesus would feel, and therefore to do what Jesus would do. See, it's, it's not just about altering behavior. That's not what Paul is is advocating here. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not just trying to control our behavior. It's about changing our nature from the inside out. To what end? Well, Paul gives us that in verse in the third part of verse 2 in chapter 12 of the book of Romans. He says that by testing, if you're not conformed to the world around you, but you're being transformed by the ring of your mind, then you'll be in a position to test and discern what is the will of God, and you will find it good, acceptable, and perfect. How does that happen? Well, that's the focus of what this verse is saying. Uh, we must carefully choose what it is we're going to think about. We must carefully choose what it is we're going to pour into our minds, Uh, and if it's true for you and I individually, then it's critically true for parents helping their kids. We must help them choose to think God thoughts. We must help them choose to be aware of who God is and of what God says about life. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life change begins with a new way of thinking not like the old way a different way a way that only happens as god begins the process of changing us and the way that he does that is he renews our mind to think about truth now if you're here this morning and you've never uh taken the step of of committing your life to god you've never invited jesus christ uh, to save you from your sin and and to have you adopted into god's family you're here, and, and perhaps you're just kind of investigating the truth claims of Christianity, and that's great. But can I tell you that for the person who gives themselves to God, the person who engages Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, where they discover not only the ability to lay their life down as a, an act of worship to God, but to cease or to break from uh, conforming to the world around them and beginning the process of transformation, that only happens one way. It happens when you and I repent. Of our sin and we trust what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that's where it starts everything outside of repentance and faith and the process of, of transformation that grows out of that is just religion and if all that you do it for a lifetime of Sundays is just go to church but you never come to the place of recognizing that in order for you to have what God is offering to you you have to turn around you have to repent you have to trust him Without reservation, then you will have spent, you've, you will have wasted a lifetime of Sundays and you will die unchanged. Because the process of transformation only happens as we come to God the way He has invited us to. And as we do that, repentance, change the way uh, we view our lives, change the way we view Jesus, change the way we view God's Word, as we, as we trust God, then He begins the process of changing us. Let me say the, state the principle another way, life changes when we understand that thinking determines how we feel and feelings determine how we behave. The reason why we want to advocate something other than just jumping in the culture stream and, and floating down river is because that that's, that's simply starts the process backwards. Our behaving is what needs to change, but we don't change our behaving simply by choosing another behavior. We have to change the way we think. And the thinking controls our feelings, and that will eventually express itself in our action. So if I'm in a depressed mood, where's that coming from? Well, I feel depressed. Yeah, but there's more to it than that. There are probably some thoughts attached to that. So anytime we're wrestling with something, we need to go beyond the feelings. We need to go to the point of thinking or belief because that expresses to some degree where the problem lies. And the Bible says that that this is a battleground for you and I. That this is a place of of conflict where we have to wrestle with the thoughts that are dictating both our feelings and our action. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 says, "...for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to Christ." That's pretty heavy language. What he's saying here is that there's a thought battle going on in every one of our lives, a thought battle between you know, false teachings or false beliefs or false prof- philosophies or, or just screwed up thinking, and then there's truth, God's Word. And as we begin to interact with God's Word, and this is why it's so important that your diet of God's Word consists of something more than just listening to me teach it. As you and I begin to engage with truth of God's Word, it will transform, it will modify how we think about a whole host of things, from our self, our heart, our sin struggles, to our relationships to the world around us. And the, the way that we do that, Paul says, is by taking every thought we have captive to Christ. That's huge. It takes a lifetime to practice that discipline, taking every thought captive to Christ. Okay, so that's the foundation. And and now what I want to talk about is how does it work? How do we take the mystery of life transformation and work it into reality? And it's about extraction and infusion. And, And this is a process that moms and dads, we need to be helping with our kids. What goes in comes out. It's a process we need to be living ourselves first if we're going to reliably point them to it. And in the process of making disciples, it's what we need to pour into them. So this verse, verse 2 of chapter 12 in the book of Romans, is about, uh, is about uh, filtering out and funneling in, filtering out life-damaging values that will warp the way you think and it will lead to uh, emotional instability and ultimately sinful actions, and then filtering in life-giving values that will lead us to look more and more like Christ and guide us to govern our feelings by truth and then to express the life that God has called us to. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So let me give you two thoughts, and I'll unpack them. Number one, it's about filtering out life-damaging values. Paul says, do not be conformed to the world. The world is headed in the opposite direction of what the Creator intended. And if all that you and I do is observe the world around us and then just pick and choose the kind of virtues or values that we're going to embrace and express, then we will necessarily be headed away from who God has called us to be. Our job is to wisely survey the world around us and learn how to filter out life-damaging values. I want to share a story that was first told by Peter Marshall, who for years was uh, the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. Ironic that it would be read in front of the Senate. We could use it today. There was this person called the Keeper of the Spring who lived in a quiet forest above an Austrian village on the eastern slopes of the Alps. And the old gentleman who had been hired years ago by a young town council to kind of wander through the forest and every time there was a crevice, he would clean out the crevice from all the broken sticks and the leaves so that the crystal clear water could flow through the crevices down to the valley below and into the beautiful little hamlet. After years of work, the water flowed just pristine and clear, and so the hamlet revealed that. There was a beautiful lake in the hamlet, the swans swam in the lake, these gorgeous restaurants had this picturesque view, the paddle wheels turned, industry thrived in the little hamlet. Until one Tuesday night council meeting, and one of the council members saw this guy's salary in the budget, and he called it into question. It was budget cuts time, and so it was a unanimous vote that they cut the Keeper of the Springs job. He lost it. And for the first several weeks, no one noticed anything. Everything seemed pretty much the same. And then fall came, and the leaves fell, and the little sticks were broken, and they fell into the crevices, and now there was a restriction of the natural flow of this pristine and clear water, until down, until down below the water began to turn this yellowish kind of color. A few weeks later, it turned kind of a brown color, and froth began to build up along the edges of the lake, and the swans flew away. The paddle wheels stopped turning and the tourists all left and it didn't take long for the town council to realize that they needed to do something and they went and found the keeper of the spring and they hired him again and he began to do his work and it took a while but again the water became clear and the village thrived because of the keeper of the spring you see what the keeper of the spring was for the hamlet you and i are to be for our children what the keeper of the spring was for the little hammock, you and I are to be for those that we're investing Christ in, that we're discipling. We need to filter out for those around us, for those entrusted to our care, uh, life-damaging values. And, and I, I recognize the challenge uh, for parents. So many parents uh, buy into this idea that, well, our kids have to live in this world, they have to be exposed to this to be prepared, and, and, and so why should we regulate that? Why should we interfere with the process? It's, it's kind of like throwing the baby out with a bathwater. It's kind of like uh, recognizing that, that there's not some wisdom in, 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 in avoiding just throwing our kids in the stream so that they float down. There's a value in teaching our kids to navigate the world in which they live and to make wise decisions. What, would a stranger, what, what could a stranger teach your kids uh, in seven hours a day, seven days a week? Or let me ask it another way, Could you use an extra nine and a half years in your lifespan? Because the truth is, uh, what what you and I are, we live in a culture where we are continually exposed uh, to outside sources of information coming in. And it happens through the television. It happens through media. Uh, Edward Newman wrote, people used to get their values from church, school, and home, and now we get our values from television. One TV documentary said, communist Russia imparted values through forced education. China through propaganda, and America always, always through television. And there's plenty of time for that, because the average person consumes seven hours and two minutes of television every single day. Every single day, uh, we expose ourselves uh, to that kind of television. Studies show that children between the ages of two and 11 watch 25 and a half hours of television every week. Adult men will consume 24 and a half hours, maybe less now that there's no sports on. And maybe we'll never get sports back under the current circumstances. Women get the prize. They watch, on average, 30 hours per week. Now, I know that's not true of any of us in here. But the truth is, we live in a culture that's constantly bombarded with messages coming to us, values coming to us from the television. And if we're not careful, if we're not uh, sober about the importance of filtering out life-damaging values, then our thinking will be shaped by what we consume, we'll become warped. One of, the most, uh, one of the number one desensitizing issues in our culture is the culture's ability to get us to laugh at things we simply don't believe in. You ever noticed that? You ever caught yourself laughing at something you know you don't believe? That's what happens if we're not filtering out life-damaging values. A.W. Tozer said, America has lost its ability to blush. He wrote that in 1963. He would probably be shocked to see our culture now. America has lost its ability to blush. You see, there are ramifications, there's a reality uh, to culture just going unchecked by truth, headed down the wrong direction. And if you and I are going to be of any service to the culture around us, then we must live differently. We must break from being conformed to the world around us, and we must allow God to transform our, our lives by the renewing of our mind, by truth. We have to filter out life-damaging values. So what does that mean? Well, it means we need to be brutally selective about what we're going to expose ourselves to. We we need to make those choices based upon our convictions from God's Word. Uh, Our decisions about what we will do, where we will go, what we will watch, should be governed by truth and a reminder that we are called to something more than just worldliness. We're called to reflect Christ. So for moms and dads, one of the things we did with our kids is we would talk to the television. So when our kids were growing up, we would we would watch TV programming together. And when something happened that wasn't true, I, I would just say out loud, "That's a lie." We'd have to pause, and uh, initially they were frustrated by it. But we would have a conversation about why I would think that what they said was not true. And eventually, I started noticing that my kids would do the same sort of thing that they they would have a question about something that we just watched. So we'd pause and we'd talk about it. And that's part of what a mom and dad ought to do in terms of filtering out life-damaging values. It's not just about pouring truth into them. That's very important. We're going to get to that in a minute. But helping them navigate truth in the midst of our culture because the truth is, most of us, if, if we're not, if we're not uh, focused on it, if we don't stay alert to it, it just, it just seeps in on us. We hardly even recognize it, that it's happening. And so we have to make a practice of choosing what is honoring to God. When it comes to movies, which we're not getting to do these days, or watching movies at home, I would suggest to moms and dads, don't trust the rating system. Do a little investigation of what you're exposing your kids to, because the truth of the matter is, the world has a much different view of what's acceptable for your children than you do, than God does. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Take every thought captive to Christ. Make choices for your life and for your kids and for those you're pouring Christ into based upon the truth of God's word. There is a radical disparity between biblical Christianity and culture. If you are going to follow Christ, then you must wrestle in the tension. If, if following Jesus seems easy to you, then you're not doing it right. Because we live in a world that is hostile to Christ. We live in a world that hates Christian faith. We live in a world that is ha- happy to partner with the adversary <clears throat> of our souls to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, that's, th- those are the battle lines for following Jesus Christ. Yes, he wants us to have abundant life, but it's a warfare to get there, and it begins by grappling with this idea of filtering out the culture around me, filtering out life-damaging values, and we just need to help our kids with this. Our our family loves music, Uh, and I schooled them in really good music, you know, back from the late 70s and 80s, so my kids really know good music. Uh, but we've I listen to all kinds of music with my kids, and one of the things that is necessary, especially in our day, is that you take just enough time to contemplate the lyrics of the song. It's not enough to just sing watermelon when you don't know the lyrics because oftentimes what you don't know they're saying they're saying and and music is a form of meditation, which is why worship is so powerful to us, because as we meditate on uh, the truth about who God is, we're, 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 uh, we're not only worshiping him, but we're shaping our thinking about good things. And, and uh, so with our kids, we, we would constantly look at lyrics to try to help them navigate, is this something that a Christ follower should listen to? And just the last couple of weeks, I'd, I've done the same thing, Got heard a song it was real catchy, and... Then I actually pulled up the lyrics and realized, I don't agree with everything that's in the song. We have to be in the process of filtering out life-damaging values. So how do you go about that? Well, let me give you a few challenges. Number one, uh, I would challenge you to do a TV fast. Not all the time, but at least annually. Just declare a period of time where you're just going to go on a TV fast, Just, just to convince yourself that you can survive without it. And after the first couple of days, you'll realize, man, it's a really bad habit. I don't even realize how much time I'm wasting by watching television. So go on a TV fast. Second, uh, set a standard for your home. Moms and dads, be the one that sets a standard for what, what is appropriate and what you will watch in your household. It's not prudish. Your, your job is to safeguard and protect your kids' hearts, to prepare them to respond to God. Third, uh, interact with your kids. Uh, Interact with people that that you're discipling over media, television, music, games. Help them understand that part of following God is is owning the responsibility of filtering out that which is not pleasing to him. Have the courage to be the keeper of the spring. Second, the second part of Paul's challenge is that we would funnel in life-giving values. If good goes in, then it's a reasonable expectation for parents to trust that eventually good is going to come out if i pour good in if i pour in truth then eventually that's going to express itself and some parents will say i'm all for that i'm going to give my kids kids, kids a good education but friends listen a good education is not enough a good education will not save a struggling marriage a good education will not help a person work through personal crisis without some addictive behaviors a good education won't build good character or healthy relationships or even make a person happy. The Bible's direction on what it looks like for you and I to live a blessed life is quite clear. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Notice how that verse starts? Blessed. The word blessed is the word happy. Happy is the person who doesn't just go with the flow. From an Old Testament vantage point, this is exactly what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Blessed is the person who doesn't go with the flow, who doesn't conform to the world around him. Psalmist says, who doesn't walk, notice the progression, in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of, of scoffers. There's a a gradual becoming comfortable with the process. First of all, I'm just walking along the way. Then we actually stop and, and we're actually talking about the direction we're headed. And then I'm comfortable enough to sit down in it. Paul says, do not conform to the world. If you want to be happy, if you want to live a blessed life, then you have to get to the middle part of the verse, which is, as Paul says, is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The psalmist says it this way, his delight person who's not headed in the direction of the culture. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. There's a filtering out and a funneling in. God says, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, if you want to faithfully and reliably point your kids toward me, then you need to meditate upon my word. If you do that, you will reap the benefits of a productive life. The idea of meditation, a synonym for, is rumination. It's what a cow does with his cud. Are you hungry? Cow chews that cud, swallows it into his belly, regurgitates it, chews it again, process over and over just to get all the nutrients out of it. This is what it means to meditate upon God's word: is to consume it, is to eat it, is to chew on it some more, to try to extract all the spiritual nutrients out of it. This is what we're called to. This is the relationship that you and I ought to have with God's word. This will change our thoughts which will in turn govern our feelings, and it will produce actions. It's why filtering out is so important. Because the things that we meditate on, the things that we chew on, these are the things that shape our thinking, our feeling, and our action. And the Apostle Paul, in agreement with the psalmist, says, what we need is God's Word. What we need is truth. We will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. But the Bible gives a promise that when we give our thoughts to truth, then it produces a certain kind of life. Uh, and, and Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that the kind of life that will yield is a life that's capable of discerning the will of God. To know the will of God for your life. Uh, the specifics of what God wants you to do and a myriad of, uh, host of decisions you'll face in the course of a lifetime. You can know his will and you will discover it to be good, pleasing, and perfect. The psalmist says something similar. He says that the payoff for you and I, as we meditate upon God's word, in verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that it does, in all that he does, he prospers. Is that what you want for your kids? That's what I wanted for mine. Is that what you want for your life? Is that, is that the kind of faith you would like to hand off to someone that God brings your way? then there's only one way to get it. It's by the renewal of our mind, governing our feelings by truth, and expressing a life of holiness, which begins in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what the psalmist says is that you and I are are like, metaphorically, we're like trees planted by streams of living water. You know, we often think when you see a large tree that, that, that its root system must be equal to that above the ground. It's not true. Trees have a root system four to five times as large as what you see above the ground. There's some big trees around here, but the root system is far more substantial. Why? Well, it's just part of what has to happen. The roots have to go deep in order for the tree to grow up. Large trees, I'm told, can consume 50 gallons of water a day just to continue the process of growing. And the lesson for us from the psalmist is that if you and I would have what it is that God has called us to, if we would live the kind of life of Christ-likeness and then pour that into our kids and pass it on to others around us, then we must do it God's way. We have to funnel out and filter in truth. What this passage is saying is that we need to draw all the nutrients of God's word that we can get. The simple fact of the matter is we, we cannot spend enough time in God's word. You say, well, uh, I don't don't know the Bible. I don't have enough answers. I can't explain it to my kids. Can I give you a couple of encouragements? Number one, recognize that one hour a week at church is not enough. It's very important. We've learned that in this season, that being together, being being the body of Christ is is essential. It's it's part of what we're called to. But just being here one hour a week is not enough. So you're going to have to move beyond that. Uh, I would suggest that that even in the the idea of modeling a commitment to life group, as we get life groups, there's a lot of good that happens in life groups, but that's not even enough. The truth of the matter is, is, if you want the life that God is offering to you, if you want to pass that on faithfully to your kids, then you are going to have to own your walk with Christ. You're going to have to faithfully pursue God, and that begins by hearing from His Word. You need to carve out 30 minutes a day. Listen, I know, 30 minutes, you're like, I can't do it. You watch so much television though. You do so many things. Carve out 30 minutes just to expose yourself to the truth of God's word and watch and wonder as he begins to renew your mind and change the way you think about a host of things. This is part of what it means for you and I to walk with Christ, is to love God's word. It's part of my desire for our church that would be a, a people who love the book and not just not just express that sentiment, but that you could look at our book and you could tell this person loves God's Word. It's worn, it's tattered, it's marked up. It's full of field notes for how God has worked in this person's life. This is the kind of people we're called to be. This is the kind of Christian that the world desperately needs us to be. I read a quote this past week, and I don't have this in my notes, so I I, I can only paraphrase it. But the quote was uh, from a pastor out of Canada uh, who said that, uh, that nominal Christianity uh, is not going to last. That's what we're experiencing right now. There is a massive drop-off of people who have just left church altogether. They're not even trying to watch it online during this hour. And, and we're, we're quickly becoming a culture where genuine Christianity is going to stand out. And genuine Christianity has to be firmly based upon God's Word. That was, the, that was what the author was saying we got to go big or go home on God's Word. That's genuine Christianity. And friends, if you would overcome sin in your life, if you would see God's blessing in your marriage, if you want to uh, see it pass a uh, blessing pass on to your kids, then you have to be a person committed to God's Word. Ask for help, and you will find it to get into God's Word for yourself, to learn it. I gave you a tool this morning you'll find on the pew beside you called the Essential 100. I'd encourage this for you, and then I'd encourage you to visit over, visit over these with your family. Uh, the Central 100 Verses. there, And you could spend an entire year walking through these. And then just passing them on to your kids. So I gave that to you. Play Bible Trivia. We used to play Bible Trivia. And uh, I just had to keep my mouth shut. I, I, had, I was handicapped. So I could only talk every once in a while. Because I'm the guy with the degrees. But find ways to filter in truth. For the lives of your kids. And I will promise you this success will feel real sweet when your kids start expressing it on their own, when they start uh, verbalizing it, when they start wrestling for themselves and following Christ. This is not fanatical. If we practice Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we'll be filtering out life damaging values and funneling in life giving values. We'll be the keeper of our own spring. Moms and dads, that's your job for a season for your kids, to be a keeper of the spring. It's our job for those that we're making disciples with. I think the average 20-something who had someone who was a keeper of the spring versus the one who didn't, it will become quite obvious who had a keeper of the spring. I don't think it'll be any surprise to recognize that the vast majority of people who have a keeper of the spring will find themselves uh, living a life of blessing because this is how God arranged it. Versus those who don't. G.K. Chesterton, uh, author, uh, Christian author and theologian, once uh, said, If you were marooned on a desert island and could only have one book with you, what book would you choose? If you were marooned on a desert island and could only have one book with you, what book would you choose? Chesterton uh, said he wouldn't choose the Bible. Instead, he would choose Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. Makes sense, doesn't it? He wanted to get off the island. He wants to live. Well, the truth about us uh, is that many of us are marooned in a way of thinking. Many of us are on an island of our own choosing. And the help that we need is not Thomas's guide for shipbuilding. It's God's word. We need God's word. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I think of two men that I've been spending time with of late. One uh, has given his life to Christ, but he's trying to overcome a couple of really large issues in his life. I keep telling him time and time again, the key for you overcoming this is your relationship with Christ. It can't be measured by the, the initial decision you make. You must walk with him. You must pursue him. You must be among his people. You must be in his word. Another man desperately needs Christ, but he feels like he's, he's like evaluating as, as as something, whether or not he, he can't decide whether or not he wants to do it. He's lost, and he'll remain lost because his intellect is in the way. He, he needs the renewing of his mind that only comes through a relationship with God based upon the completed work of Jesus Christ and the process of spiritual transformation. The help all of us need for everything we will face in life, is God's Word it is our it is our guide on how to live in our relationship with God Father Son and Holy Spirit Paul writes in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed but who rightly handles the word of truth listen we're all in different places on this journey But there's not a person in this room who's walked faithfully with God, who has applied themselves to truth, who would not say if they were standing in my shoes right now, I wish I knew more. I wish I'd been in it more. I wish I'd immersed myself more faithfully in God's word. Because everywhere that I have, I have discovered his blessing. I've discovered transformation. What goes in comes out. And so Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 12, offer your life as a living sacrifice to God. Engage the process of what he wants to do as he makes you look like Jesus, and you will be, to use the psalmist words, blessed. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We recognize that truth is the means whereby we come to think rightly about you uh, and rightly about ourselves. And it is in truth that we discover Your answer for our sin, who is Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave his life for us. I pray, Father, for the person who is religiously minded. They have Bibles, they frequent church, they do things that appear to be in keeping with a religious person, yet they have not yielded their life to you. I pray that they could see from the the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that the process is about uh, whereby you change our lives, is about sacrificing ourselves to you. It's about yielding over to you our lives so that you can remake us into the person you created us to be. And as you transform us, our thinking, that truth would govern our feelings and that our life would express holiness, we would become who you desire us to be, and by that we would glorify you, and we would give life to others. I pray for moms and dads that you would give them wisdom to know how to uh, to funnel out those life-damaging values, the influences of culture, and to teach their kids, to give them the skill set of swimming upstream in a culture with so many forces and influences so that they might yield a life that is blessed. And for those of us who know you may we continue in the process of feeding on the word of god of meditating on truth allowing you to change us from the inside out that we might be faithful and reliable guides to the world around us and we ask all this in christ's name amen just a reminder that next sunday uh, is the first we'll be celebrating communion together so particularly for those uh, who are listening by radio or watching on YouTube, if you'd like to come by the church this week, you could pick up communion if you're going to be at home next week, and then everyone else will be celebrating together here. Would you stand? Let's be dismissed. So, so glad to see uh, so many of you. So glad to see some faces coming in for uh, the summer. Uh, that's exciting and happy to have you, and hope that you have a great week. Uh, I, I want to ask, if you will, uh to pray for God's hand over our church. Not, not our church alone, uh, every church in the valley, uh, but I am burdened um, that our church um, be other than the world around us. Uh, it, it's, it's not about the minutia uh, of, of the matters we're confronted with over COVID-19. Our world has been swept up into thinking that the greatest threat to a person is COVID-19. It's not true, friends. It doesn't meet with scripture. The greatest threat to every man, woman, child born into this world is sin, fallen depravity. And there's nothing that we can do to fix that other than running to Christ. And I desperately want the church to be a faithful guide toward that life-altering, eternity-altering truth. And in order for us to do that, then it necessitates that brothers and sisters in Christ Love one another well respect one another well and remember that the most important thing we've been charged to do is to represent Christ in this broken sin stained world that is not going to get better it's only going to get worse that's not a message one or two or twelve of us can live out it takes the force of the entire body of Christ heralding that message faithfully and showing how we can love one another even in the midst of disagreement that will point people to a good God who always does good. Our world desperately needs to see that and the church in this hour must deliver the message. Would you help me with that? Let's pray to that end. God bless you. You're dismissed.